All right. Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Good. Glad to be back with you this morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor Jeff, for the, the word last week. Um, I had a, had a lot of fun. I, I tuned in and listened, and I started the 111 challenge. So thank you for issuing that to us. And um, I hope you guys out there started doing the 111 challenge as well. And uh, it's, it's going to be fun. I think it's, uh, he really nailed it for me when he, he reiterated the importance of us going out to be with unchurched people. You know, I, I think that's, that's so integral and it's so fun to see Jesus and scripture doing that so many times. You know, there's religious leaders and then there's people that are far from God. And he says, hey, who am I going to go have dinner with today? Those people, the ones that are far from God. So it's so, so fun. And um, you, you blessed me. So thank you very much for that last week. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Acts chapter 16. Also, good morning to everybody joining us online. Glad you're here with us today. And uh, today I want to talk about the word passion. Talk about the word passion. Now, how many of you guys would say you're passionate about something? Like, I mean, show of hands. Yeah, passionate about something. This could be anything, right? You're passionate about a movie. You're passionate about your family. You're passionate about a, a sport or an activity. Um, it's, I think we all have something that we could say, I'm passionate about this. I really, really like it. And if you look up the definition of the word passion, it says a strong and barely controllable emotion. A strong and barely controllable emotion. So think of a time where you felt that. I know for many of you, it was watching the Seahawks beat the Niners a couple weeks ago, right? <laughs> it happened. For me, maybe it was watching the Rams beat the Seahawks. You know, it's just one of those things, right? But, but we all have a time in our life where we see that passion happen and, and it comes out. I mean, it could be like if you're watching your team on the brink of victory and then you lost. You, you, your, your passion comes out because you, you kind of get angry in that moment, right? You start yelling at the TV or yelling at if you're live. You start saying things that you're hoping people around you don't know or don't know you because you don't want people to hear you saying those things. But passion can invoke some strong emotions, right? Or you yell at whatever you're watching because you want to see your team win. And when they do, you jump up and down and you celebrate. You've got a deep passion for it. Or when someone in your family is, is hurting, you start to hurt because you're passionate about this family member. Passion comes in a wide variety of ways. Now, but what comes to your mind when you hear the word passion personally? Because we know sometimes it talks about excitement, um, but that excitement can run a wide spectrum, right? It can be, you know, white hot with anger to being red hot in love. Passion has a wide variety. But I love what Webster's Dictionary actually says. There's a second definition of passion. And not everybody puts this together because they don't think of it. But passion actually is also identified and described as the crucifixion and suffering of Jesus Christ. That's in the secular dictionary, people. <laughs> the crucifixion and suffering of Jesus Christ. And it's just so, it's, you know, fitting that the movie that came out about it was The Passion of the Christ, right? We, we get to see that the, the passion that Jesus had it's so much deeper than, than just maybe an emotion for a sports team or an emotion that comes up. It was a deep-rooted love that we get to identify with. We're going to talk about, though, what, what does it mean for you and me today? What impact should, should this word passion have in our lives? And what does it mean about his mission, our co-mission with him here on earth? Would you say that you're in a passionate relationship with Jesus? Um, in a few minutes, we're going to look uh, at Acts chapter 16, and we're going to look at the story of Paul and Silas, and I think it reveals a lot about their passion for Jesus. But before we do, we're going to break down a little bit more of what passion is. Now, in the definition, if passion is connected to Christ's sufferings for our salvation, then how do we relate to his sufferings? 
You're going to hear that word a lot. Actually, it was in one of the songs we sang. There's suffering that happens. And I, I, can, I can say this. Nobody wants to suffer, right? You don't wake up every day and say, God, I'm going to suffer today and I'm going to love it. It's not the forefront of our minds, but the scriptures do talk a lot about suffering and how when we're passionate about something, specifically our walk with Jesus, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be hardships, and we're going to unpack some of those today because if there's anyone that knows about hardships and suffering, Paul's pretty much an expert in this. He goes through quite a bit. Now, he says this in Philippians 1.29. He says, for it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him but also to suffer for him. Now, often we want to stop at that word believe, right? It has been given to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, and then we're like, okay, well, I'll just, I can stop it right there. I believe in him, and let's go forth. But we don't want to, we don't want to really buy into that last part where Paul says, but you are also going to suffer for him. But I think if we don't have that knowledge, if we don't know and expect and know that we are going to suffer, there's going to be a part of our passion for Jesus that's going to be lacking, there's a part that we're going to miss out on because Paul even says it. It's going to happen. And Christ's behalf is not only to believe, but you are going to. He addresses, uh, Peter addresses this in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13. He says, as you share in the sufferings of the Messiah, rejoice, so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. It's interesting when you think, man, the, the more people are ridiculing me, it, it, there's a kind of a hand-in-hand -hand thing there, right? It's like God's telling you, you are going to proclaim my name and people are going to ridicule you. That's okay. That's okay. It's going to happen. Expect it. Expect it and know that I am blessing you through this. That doesn't mean, like, it's, I, for me personally, this has never happened. I've never shared Jesus with somebody and had someone say, you know, you're dumb, you're more. And I was like, yes, Jesus, they're ridiculing me. That's not the natural response, but I do get to go back and reflect on that and say, I know God told me to expect this. I know this is a byproduct of it. I know God is still with me in this. And I get to be encouraged in those moments. So passionate followers of Jesus, we're going to be sharing in his suffering. I think that if our walk in the world doesn't challenge the world, and specifically if our walk as we walk through the world doesn't challenge us, if we walk through the word and it doesn't challenge us, then we're missing something. I think we're going to be challenged in our walk, in our beliefs, in our faith, and those are not bad things. Know that it's going to be hard, but know as God, God is with you through it all. I love the challenge that Paul gives to Timothy in uh, his second letter. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, he says this, Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you through the laying, of, through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. Paul's challenge was to stay on fire, to stay passionate about serving Jesus. And Timothy needed to remember that God didn't want him to be controlled by fear. God didn't want him to be consumed by the persecution and all the things going on around him. He wanted him to be controlled and driven rather by the power of God, the love of God, and the discipline that comes from allowing the Holy Spirit to be the one that dictates your life. I've already started on the superhero theme, guys, so just go for it. <clears throat> what Paul said to Timothy might be summarized in a prayer like this. Lord, teach me. Lord, touch me. And Lord, torch me.
Teach me, touch me, and torch me. Set me on fire in a way that, that, that can't be contained, that lets me go full force, full speed into what you have for me. My prayer for all of us here, for, for me, for you, for this church, is that through the infilling and the infusion of the Holy Spirit in this place, God will transform and continue to move this church to be a passion-driven church. A church that is filled with passionate believers, living passionate lives, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. And let me, let me pose a couple questions <clears throat> as we get into our story before we read um, Acts 16. Because we say passion, and sometimes you run along this, this, this line of, I see people that are passionate, maybe I'm not there, how do I get there? But before we talk about filling our passion, what robs people in churches of their passion? What robs us? If, if you want passion, how, how do you get it? How do you fuel it? How do you day-to-day in the world we live and the things that change, COVID, you know, to name the, the one that everyone thinks about, how do we keep passion fueled in this time? And there's probably a multitude of answers to those questions, but there are some, some that really hit home with me as I was, I was thinking about this. One is that people in church are robbed of their passion by fatigue. People in church are robbed of their passion by fatigue. People, I mean, sometimes we wear out, right? We, we, we feel like we're, we're going, we're going, and life just hits you and hits you, and we wear out. Or the, the spiritual term you may have heard if you've been in church for a while is burnout. I just feel burned out. Um, when, when Pastor Jeff shared last week a little about some uh, evangelists, and what's funny is uh, Pastor Terry, back where, where I'm from in California, uh, he retired last week, but his last message, he talked about spiritual burnout. Not that he had it, but just his, his whole message was going forward with passion, going forward and not letting the world tear you down. And he shared some amazing stats of some, some preachers and well-known people that burned out and stopped going. And there was a, a trio. Billy Graham was with two other people, and Billy Graham was the only one in his ministry that kept on going because people got fatigued. I'm afraid that if, if I were to ask people, do you feel more passionate or more fatigued my fear is that more people say, I feel more fatigued than anything else. And that's a, that's a scary place to be. I don't want to be in a place where we feel more fatigued than we do the Holy Spirit powering us and making us passionate for what we want to do. We probably have more fatigue than we want to admit. There's a, a late great coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, once said this, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. I know in times where I felt tired that I've definitely, I don't, I would, the, the word coward struck me there because I was like, man, I never thought of it being a coward, but I definitely know that when I get tired, I don't, I don't want to do things, which is, which is funny. You know, you think, man, I, I got to do something to get out of this rut, but so often we decide to do nothing instead, right? And that's really not going to be the thing that, that spurs you to do something else. But I do love that our fatigue has a remedy. Jesus offered this. Jesus was totally aware of the weariness, weariness of life. He knew we were going to go through things. He told us, you're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. But he gave us an amazing remedy. Matthew eleven twenty eight. he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. The very one who we feel like, man, I am just going so hard and I'm burning myself out. Jesus says, don't turn away from me. In this moment where you are tired and you feel like you're less passionate or you're just burnt, you're, just, you're at your wit's end, he says, come to me. I get to give you the rest. I can carry the heavy load. Let me, let me offer you three common causes of fatigue that, um, that I think some of us can relate to here. One is compromise fatigue. Compromise fatigue. Now, this is where we, we face the pressures to fit in, to be accepted. Like the, everyone's going along with this. 
my friends are doing this, and people I want to be friends with are doing this, so I'm going to go with this too, instead of speaking out when we know we shouldn't be doing something. You start compromising. And all it takes is, you know, one little compromise to lead to another one, to lead to another one, to grow and to grow. And pretty soon, man, it, it fatigues. It gets you tired because now, you, now you're trying so hard to, you got to go back to doing what's right, but you've compromised so much that you're just going down the wrong path. Compromise fatigue. We need to make sure we're, we're standing strong in a world that may say, we don't want Jesus. We get to stand strong and say, this is why you need Jesus. This is why you need him. Compromising can ultimately lead to giving in, which can turn into that word, burnout. A second one I call a compression fatigue. This is where you feel life just really weighing you down. You feel like you're just so compressed and, and bottled down and bogged down because life is just throwing haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. I talked about this with the youth on Thursday. You know what their number one answer was? They're like, man, I feel like school bogs me down. Which was funny because when they couldn't go to school, they were saying, I just can't wait to get back in school, right? But compression fatigue. For kids, it may be school. For some of us, it may be work. For some of us, it may be family. But you just may feel like, man, I'm getting so beat down by the world that I'm just trying to catch my own breath. And I need someone to help me with this load that I'm trying to bear with my own strength until you finally give out. And then you lean to, I tried so hard and I burned myself out and I just can't do it. Compression fatigue. And the last one is comparison fatigue. This is where we constantly look at other people. We say, man, I'm, I'm going to church. I'm working hard. Why don't I have what they have? Why, why, why am I working so hard and I, I, I'm just not quite where they're at? Their, their spiritual level is so above mine. Why can't I get there? And you, you live in this dangerous game of comparing your life and what God's doing in you to somebody else and what God's doing in them. God's not working in all of us the exact same way. It's a dangerous thing to compare yourself to somebody else. Now, it's okay to look at someone as an example and say, wow, they are here and I, I admire what they're doing. I admire how they got there. That is a good example for what I want in my life. But when we compare it to the point where we start getting mad and depressed and upset that we're not where they are, we start to burn ourselves out. We start to say, what's the point? Why is this person blessed by our definition when we could easily now look at ourselves and say, hey, this is how God is blessing me. It's not the same as them. That doesn't mean it's better. It's different. But God is going to work in you the way he needs to and wants to work in you. So how do we battle against these, though? We, we have these different fatigue things. What do we do to keep ourselves from giving in or giving up or giving out? I, I hope that um, as we read the story of Paul and Silas today, it can give us some practical weapons for this battle of fatigue and passion. And that we can read and keep in mind that these, these two servants, they faced a lot of the same types of challenges that we do today. They could have compromised, they could have given in, and if they did, they probably wouldn't have faced nearly the problems they did. And you could probably easily make the case to say that if Paul would have hung up his preacher, his preacher card said, and I'm done, he probably would have lived a lot smoother, easier life. The man had Roman citizenship. He could have jumped right in with the people, that were the, the higher powers that be, and lived a nice, easy life. But he didn't, and he knew he was going to suffer for it. He could have compared his problems to the ease of others and walked away but he didn't. Paul and Silas were very passionate about their walk with Jesus. So if you turn to Acts 16, starting in 25, we're going to read this together. And we're going to see how through this, what could be a tragedy, God uses and we get to see their passion for their mission that he's called them to do. So Acts 16, starting in 25, it says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So some context, they're in prison here. 
Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because all of us are here. Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the message of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all of his family were baptized. So he brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. That's amazing, isn't it? I really look at this story and I think so many amazing things happen in this, just these few short verses, these nine verses. You see a man on the brink of suicide, so burned out. He thought he was, he was time for lights out. But instead, the whole script is flipped and his whole family is saved. We, we, see, we see Paul and Silas in a situation where they're prisoners and they have an opportunity to escape. Let the guard kill himself. This is the enemy anyways, right? He's going to kill himself, we're going to be free. But they don't because they are passionate for the mission that God has called them to. What do we learn from this about our passion and our walk with Jesus? One thing we learn is that passionate people are fully surrendered to God in prayer and praise. I think passionate people are fully surrendered to God in prayer and praise. Verse 25 says this. It starts with, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Paul and Silas were in prison because of their faith. Literally because they were going out doing what God called them to do, they got put in prison. Talk about, it was like a situation where you could look up and say, man, what's going on, God? Like you, you told me to do this and now I'm in prison. But instead of complaining, instead of looking up at God and saying, this is totally not fair, God, you messed up. I'm supposed to be out there talking and now I'm chained in here. What am I supposed to do in here? They weren't doing that. They didn't play a victim card. They didn't, they didn't play the woe is me card. They said, hey, we were out there praising because God told us to. Now we're here. What are we going to do? We're going to praise. We're going to keep praising. We're going to keep singing. And I love it that the prisoners were listening. It's, it's, it's almost, I mean, it is. It's like God knew, all right, you want to be around unchurched people? I'm going to put you around some unchurched people. You're going to prison, and you're going to start something amazing in prison. And they are there singing, and the prisoners are listening. They worshiped. They bowed their heads in prayer. They lifted their voices in praise. This is a great example of people who are passionate about what God called them to do. Someone fully surrendered to prayer and praise, even in the worst of times. And I know it's, it's harder said than done, but it's an awesome indicator, I think, of when we can look at our passion level. We can say, all right, in, in my worst moments, am I still willing to lift my head in praise? In the hardest times, am I still willing to say, you know what, I don't know why, but instead of saying, God, why, I'm going to say, God, you're still good. God, you're still in charge. If we read through the story of Joseph, we see him doing a lot of the same things. Blow after blow after blow of being just thrown down and beat down and imprisoned and wrongfully accused. But God blesses him in everything he does because he continues to give God the praise through it all. Another thing is that passionate people are fueled by God's power. I love that we see a great example of God's power in this. When we read it, it says, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. In California, we know a little bit about earthquakes. That's a big one. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. This is not just coincidence, right? 
An earthquake doesn't just happen in the most convenient time and open all the doors at the most convenient time and all the chains fall off at the most convenient time, right? That's a lot of conveniences. This is clearly the work of God in this moment. Even so, the guard assumed the prisoners escaped. He drew his sword to kill himself. Now, back in this time, if you were on guard and your prisoner got away, it was a death sentence. If you had to answer to the, the, the powers that be and say, they got out on my watch, you and your family were most likely executed. This guard was thinking, it's it. This is up. My time is up, and he's ready to do the deed himself. But Paul shouted, stop. Don't kill yourself. We are all here. This wasn't a random phenomenon. This was the power of God being displayed, and Paul and Silas knew it. They knew it was not a coincidence that all these things happened in this moment at this time. God was doing a work around them, and they tapped into it right away. I love it. God's power being in that earthquake fueled their passion. They didn't run because they knew they had a moment right there to talk to this guard. And I love that talking to that guard led to something even more amazing. They were in tune to the power of God working around them. Third is that passionate people are focused on God's purposes. Verse 38 starts with the rest of the story there, right, where the, the guard takes them home. And what happens with this guard in his home? His whole house comes to know God. I love it. They are fueled by God's purpose. They, why did Paul and Silas stay? They had every opportunity to get out. This was, this was a clean slate. We all get to leave. The prisoners are free. We were talking to the prisoners. They were listening. The guard was just watching and doing his thing. But we get to get out. They chose to stay. Why did they choose to stay? Because sharing the good news of Jesus was the very essence of who they were. That was what God put on their hearts and they were passionate about it. And they knew even in that moment that that one life, even though it was the life of the enemy at that time, they knew God loves that person and he needs to hear this. He needs to know. They were passionate about sharing what God had put on their heart to share. Man, when we're passionate, I don't want to miss on any opportunity to share with what Jesus has done for me with somebody else. Paul and Silas knew that there's no greater purpose in life than to share with others the life-changing message of the gospel. To, to feel the Holy Spirit come in and move and work in your life. He laid out the message of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection, and he did that to all who would listen, even the suicidal guard. Their passion for Christ, along with the power of the Holy Spirit, helped the jailer and his whole family come to know Jesus. And lives are changed when we see people who are passionately following what God has called them to do. So how does this relate to us now, right? I said we, we've talked about passion, like what, what passion looks like, the passion and suffering of Jesus. And, and we've seen an example of Paul and Silas being passionate, not letting, not letting life tell them no, not letting their hardships push them away. So what does this mean for us now? Because sometimes we, we may feel like it. Some of you may, right now may say, I am passionate, like I, I'm in. And some of us may be on the other end of the spectrum where you say, man, right now I'm not. I don't know why. Like I, I, I still love God, absolutely, and I, I still love Jesus, but I don't know why I not just going out and doing things the way maybe I should. There's a wide spectrum of where everybody can be. But I think we all have a part to play in handling this passion God's given us. Now we see in Acts chapter 2, or chapter 16, we see two people who had this passion, right? These guys had to talk about Jesus. They had to do it. They had to go tell everybody what happened, no matter what was happening around them, especially the guard. Looking at this passage, I can say we learn a lot about how passion works and how we can keep our passion for Jesus. One thing I think we need to understand is that we can actively fill our passion. We can actively fill our passion. When we're passionate about something, we're going to take action on it, right? 
When, when you have something that says a barely, un, almost uncontrollable feeling or emotion. So if you're passionate about something, you're going to do something about it. It's not something that just sits in the back. It's not a I wish. It's a I'm going to. Right? The things we say, the steps we take, the places we go, these can all fuel this passion and keep it burning at the forefront of our hearts. Now, if you're passionate about a sport, you're going to watch it. You're going to play it. You're going to study it because you're passionate about it. Now, when I was younger, this may, this may come as a, a shock to some people. My favorite sport in the world is not football. I know I talk a lot about, you know, the Seahawks-Niners thing is fun, but, and I love the Niners, obviously. But my favorite sport is not football. My favorite sport is baseball. I love baseball. Growing up, watching the San Francisco Giants, it's been lots of fun. Go Giants, we're in the playoffs, let's go. Last night was rough, but we're still in it. When I was younger, I played a lot of baseball. And I mean a lot. I was on teams. I was on traveling teams. I practiced. I, even when the team was having practice, I was outside with my dad playing catch. I, eat, I would eat, I would sleep, I would breathe baseball. That was my sport. When I, uh, when I joined teams after school, I would have a desire to go to play even when I wasn't practice. When I was on the team, I wanted to be the first one at every practice. I wanted to be the last one to leave practice. When our team would win, I was the one that was going nuts like, we did it, we did it. When we lost, I was the one just like, why? Just crumbling that we, we just lost the game. I was so passionate about this game. But the more I played, the more I loved the game. The more I fueled my desire to get in it. I, was, I came to a point where I realized that I was more passionate about baseball than I was in my walk with Jesus. I was more passionate about baseball than my walk with Jesus, but it wasn't until church camp that God really revealed that to my heart. And at church camp, of course, what was I the first person to sign up for? The baseball tournament. I was there, I was in, and I would start recruiting the players, getting the teams together. We went undefeated for a few years. Woo, you know, it was awesome. But I, God really did a number in my heart when he was saying, you're more passionate about this sport than you are about pursuing me. What would it look like, Dustin, if you put me there instead of baseball? If you pursued me the same intensity that you're pursuing playing the sport? And God did a number on my heart. He called me to switch priorities. He wanted me to search for him, not for the next game. <clears throat> I wasn't actively searching him, and that, that was something I had to switch. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they would, will be filled. I wasn't searching for those things. I wasn't hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I was hungering and thirsting for sports. Once I started serving in church, though, back then, so back in high school is when I really got serious about really serving in church, that's when I discovered my passion for children's ministry at that time. I wouldn't have known that if I, if I hadn't had a, a switch and I said, all right, God, I'm going to start pursuing you first. And once I dove in, I found a new passion, and I loved children's ministry. And for the better part of 13 years, I got to be a children's pastor, and it was so fun. But I got to see God working in my heart, and I found that the more time I spent studying Scripture, the more time I spent studying the life of Jesus, the more passionate I became about wanting to be like him. But it wasn't until I started feeding that passion that I discovered this passion. And the more I fed it, the more and more it grew. Paul and Silas, in this passage, we get to see an example of them acting on their passion. Man, they acted on this at every opportunity. Whether free or imprisoned, they knew that to keep excited about it, they had to keep at it. They weren't going to let anything tear them down or wear them out. Nothing was going to stop them from fueling their passion. And the point is this. If you want to be passionate about something, spend time doing it. 
Spend time doing it. Don't say I'm passionate about it because then it comes more of, more of a, a pipe dream than really a passion. Go for it. Give it all you've got. If you want to be more passionate about Jesus, spend time in the word. If you want to be more passionate about Jesus, spend time serving in the church. Spend time with unchurched people and see Jesus' passion for them. Spend time with unchurched people. I'll say it again. Spend time with unchurched people. We can't, we can't expect unchurched people just to flood to us, man. We've got to go to them. We've got to let our life show the love of Jesus. I love that, that Jesus didn't always call people, hey, come to my church. Come to my church on Sunday. Let's go to the synagogue. Man, he was out. He was showing people love. He was showing the unchurched people love. That's an amazing thing that we get to go because Jesus was passionate about people. But just like we get to fill our passion, we also get to be the ones that let our passions fade, right? Don't be the biggest killer of your passion. Don't be the biggest killer of your own passion. We may hit a time in our life where we feel like a deflated balloon, right? You, 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 you know, balloons, you blow them up to a certain point, and over time they just start to, if you tie it off, eventually they deflate. Now, we would do a fundraiser back in California where we would raise money for our elementary schools. And one of the things we did, you know, we had helium-filled balloons all over the place. And throughout the course of the night, the balloons would go up to the ceiling. And at it, it Creekside, the roof was ridiculously vaulted, like really, really high. So if a balloon went up there, you had to go get the, we called it the little giant, you know, 30-foot ladder to get up there to get the balloon. But in the middle of the fundraiser, and even at, the, at night when it's 11 p.m., like, we've got to get back for church in the morning. No one wants to haul that ladder in because the thing was a beast, right? No one wanted to get those balloons. And someone would actually say, hey, don't worry about that balloon. No one's really going to notice it unless they look all the way up and off to the side. So don't worry about it. Over time, it's going to deflate. It'll float back down. I don't want my passion to be something that I don't take care of so it deflates and floats down. I don't want to be like that neglected balloon that floated down all by itself. If I don't spend time with Jesus, I know I start to deflate. I know that I'm the cause of why I'm not excited to do something, and that's on me. That's, that's never Jesus saying, Dustin, I don't got time for you right now. You've got so many problems, but this person has more, so calm down. That's not what Jesus says to me. I know that I'm the one that doesn't fuel it at times. I'm the one that doesn't feed it, and I can start to deflate myself. Romans 12.1 says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. I love that it says the word keep. There, there's, there's an element of this is your responsibility. You've got to put effort into it. You've got to be the one to spend time with Jesus. This is not an automatic thing. It's a choice. It's a choice that we get to make daily, right? We don't just get to say, man, I'm too tired, I don't feel like it. I just want to stay home. I get to do church in my jammies today. Not knocking jammies. I love jammies. Jammies are comfy. But we get to make a choice to attend. We get to make a choice to log in online, even if you are in your jammies. I welcome that. Thank you. But we get to make that choice to actively be a part of this mission of what's going on in our church, in our community. Our choices can lead us to strengthening that desire or losing that desire because we're not acting on it. And we get to make that choice every single day. Every single day. Are we going to spend time with Jesus today or are we going to put him on the back burner today? When, uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, the big thing at that point a few years ago was your Snapchat streaks. How many times a day are you connecting? And it would keep track of how many days in a row you've connected with somebody on Snapchat. So I issued a challenge to my, uh, to my youth group. I said, all right, guys. If you're looking at your Snapchat streak as more important than your time with Jesus streak, it's a priority issue. 
Not saying your Snapchat, your Snapchat streak is bad, have fun with your friends, but if you're saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my streak, but you've never once in your life said, oh my gosh, I didn't spend time with Jesus today, where's the priority switch? I want to make sure that we're pursuing Jesus with passion. <clears throat> now, let me go back to baseball for a minute. I still love baseball. Last night's game was devastating for me, watching the Dodgers cross the Giants like 9-2 to two was, was hard. But I still love the game. I may not be as passionate about it now as I was then, but I still love the game. Now, we used to uh, go to Giants games back home. We could find some uh, apps that would do some, some cheap tickets, and we would have a lot of fun going to the game. But over the years, we got to watch him play. And I'm still at home like last night. Stephanie told me at one point, you can sit down. You can step away from the TV, and you can sit down and watch the game. Because I was like, I was at the point you know, where parents are like, you're going to burn your eyes out if you stand too close. I was right there because I, I have so much fun watching the games. But I will say, after I stopped playing the game, and I stopped watching it as often as I did, my passion for it and my love for it began to decrease. didn't fully go away, but it was no longer the priority because I wasn't feeding into it. And it's not bad that it went away because it had got totally replaced with what I was spending time with. And that was my walk with Jesus. I gave up baseball ultimately to pursue ministry. And, and you know, I, was, I had a lot of fun with it. I was good. You know, there's those people that will say, man, if I had just pursued sports, I'd have been a pro. And you're like, no, you wouldn't. Well, I was. I was that guy. I'd have gone pro. But I know that I became more and more passionate about Jesus and less about baseball. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And another reason I know I want to grow in my passion for Jesus is that he is already passionate about me. He is so passionate about all of us. This one can be so obvious, yet so overlooked so easily. Jesus came to earth, lived as a man, was fully God and fully human, and died for us. He died for those that loved him, died for those that hated him. He died for those that didn't even know who he was yet. And he chose to do that. That's an amazing choice. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friend. That's not just the thing anybody decides to do, right? Especially for someone who doesn't like you. I'm sure in life we could all pick people. You would say, like, yes, I'd die for you. I'd die for you. My wife and kids, hands down, not even a second, second thought, I would die for them. The person who sideswiped me on the road years ago would not die for that person. You know, just, that's where my mind goes, right? That's, that's honesty. Like, but, but Jesus said, I died for that person. I did. No greater love has anyone than this to lay down one's life for his friend. He loves us so much that he conquered death to be with us, even the ones who hate him. He chose you. He chose me. He chose us as his passion. Revelations 3.20 says, Here I am. Stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Those aren't the words of someone who is not passionate about you. Someone who is, those are the words of the Savior who is pounding on the door saying, hey, let me in. I am here. Are you ready? Open the door. And when you open the door, he says, let's go. A passionate person does that. He is so passionate that he is standing at the door and knocking. I love the way that looks because it shows that all we have to do is open the door. And he's like, let's do this thing. Let's go. Jesus spent life with people all over the place. He was so passionate that he ate with the sinners. This consumed his literal life. He spent time with the disciples. He spent time with the unchurched. He ate with his disciples. He ate with the unchurched. He taught his disciples. He taught the unchurched. He was passionate about people. He's that friend that just won't leave you alone no matter how much you try to ignore him. 
You're like, ignore the call, ignore the call, ignore the call. He keeps calling. He is passionate about you. He refuses to stand by. He wants you. Now, I remember uh, years ago, I think this is actually before Stephanie and I were married. Uh, we were with my family. We were on a beach, and we're, we're, in, we're in the ocean and, and having fun. And you know the phrase, don't turn your back on the ocean? Well, we didn't have our backs to the ocean, but that wave was big. And it came. And I remember as that wave was coming, Stephanie grabbed onto me. I grabbed onto her. It was the, oh, you know, the, the, the thing was coming and we were not ready for it. And it took us down. And in the moment, freaky moment, because as the wave hits us, I lose Stephanie. Loser. And also, I'm rolling with this big, powerful wave. And my priority at that point is I need air. I need air. I need air. I was passionate about finding air. I needed it badly. And what I know ultimately was probably just a few seconds, but, you know, panic doesn't help you hold your breath any. I finally get up to the surface. I gasp for air. I look around, and I don't see Stephanie. And I'm, I'm then, then it turns into panic. Now I'm passionately looking for Stephanie. I'm yelling. I'm calling. I'm like, Stephanie, where are you? Where are you? I cannot find her. The panic is set in. I'm still dazed from just getting taken out by the sheer size of this wave that took us. And then finally, I see her. She pops up out of the water. I run over to her. I'm so relieved. And I see panic in her eyes as well. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? Are you okay? And she comes up to me. She goes, I, I grabbed her. I remember saying, I thought I lost you. I thought I lost you. And she goes, where are my sunglasses? <laughs> and I was like, I'm glad we're okay. I'm glad we're good. And she was in that moment. She was splashing, looking, where are they? Where are they? And I, I was like, oh, okay, so she's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. But those sunglasses, we never found them. They're gone. But I had desperation for air. I had desperation to find her. And I knew in that moment, when I was under the water, I was not going to survive if I did not get up and get air. And then when I got up, I knew <laughs> I'm not going to survive because her parents will kill me if I don't find her, right? I have to find Stephanie. But... Then I started thinking later, I was like, man, the desperation that I was searching for air, the desperation that I knew I need this or I will not make it, that's the passion I want for Jesus. I want to be able to look at him and say, I will die if I don't find you, if I don't get you, if I don't consume my life with making sure you are number one, that I'm going for you with every breath that I have or lack of breath in this situation. I need you more than anything. That's not enough. I want that passion to find him, to seek him, to grow in him. And I know that it's my choice. I've got to put that in. I've got to challenge myself to seek him first and then see what he does because of that. I'd like to invite uh, the worship team back up. And I'd like to invite you all to stand with me as we come to a close this morning. So my question then for all of us today is, are we living passionately for Jesus? Or are we experiencing spiritual fatigue? Passion or fatigue. And my guess is that if we put all of our spiritual lives on a scale, like I said, with passion on one end and fatigue on another, a lot of us would probably say, hey, right now we're feeling some fatigue. We're feeling tired. We're feeling like, man, it's just, life is just starting to beat me down. But I don't think I know of anyone who would say, I want to stay there. I think most of us would say, I want to get to the passion side. I want to move my life. I want to fill my life over here so I can actively pursue God with everything I have. He is that breath of fresh air that I need when I feel like I can't breathe, and I want it. So what do we do? It may seem simple, but I believe we need to do some of the things, same things we see in the story of Paul and Silas. Surrender to God fully. Know that, know that in your life, 
you may be in a, a trial. You may be in a hard spot. You may be in a time where you're like, I feel compressed. Maybe I feel compromised. Maybe I feel in a moment where I'm just getting beat down. But say, you know what? In those moments, I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to choose prayer. I'm going to choose worship. I'm going to choose him. Maybe some of you today have never made that decision. You've never said, I choose Jesus, first and foremost. If you've never done that before, I want to invite you today uh, to come, come talk to me. Come pray with me. And don't pass up on this opportunity to say, Jesus, I need you more than anything. You are life. If you're online today, I want to invite you uh, to type it in there. Click on the prayer button and someone will connect with you and say, hey, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I want to make this decision because he is already passionate about me. I want to invite you to pray with somebody today. Jesus is so passionate about us, and that's an amazing thing. Amen? Amen. I love that, that we serve a God who's so passionate about us that we get to return this, and he died for us, and no greater love has that. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that you are so passionate about us that, that God, you sent Jesus to die for us. I pray that in life, no matter where we are, no matter what trials we go through, we fuel and feed a passion to serve you. We fuel and feed a passion to find unchurched people, God, to show them your love, show them who you are. And it's not just about bringing them here, it's about bringing them to you. God, that they can see your heart and experience your love and receive this amazing gift that you've given us of grace and eternity. So God, I pray that our passion is full, our passion is filled, and we pursue you with every fiber of our being. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.